The following is a message by Professor Joel Kim from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Where's the beef? I realize that some of you may be vegetarians here, and I'm sorry if you are, but one thing that we come to recognize is that things like burgers and sandwiches, it's the center part, the meat portion, that becomes the most important part of our taste. Here, all the condiments, vegetables, bread, these are taste enhancers to what we're supposed to be digesting. That meat portion characterizes that particular sandwich or that burger. What we want to see this morning is the meat portion of this narrative that's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. We want to focus particularly on the meat portion of the story, which is about the famous story of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. It starts on verse 24, and it ends in verse 34. We'll be making references to the outside buns, but primarily we'll be focusing on the verse here. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the women, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So far the reading of his word. The scene is a common scene in the Synoptic Gospels. A crowd had gathered around Jesus and they were following him for he had now been known as a great healer and a great teacher. And as people are pressing against one another, we see at least the camera of this story zooming into this woman who walks up behind Jesus. Already, people are tense because a person named Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler, a very important person of that particular town, comes. And he's the one who implored Jesus to come and aid his daughter, who's ill. You can just imagine the anguish of his voice as he came before Jesus and said, you're the only one who can help my dying daughter. It's at this juncture this woman starts to walk up to Jesus, not in front of him with pride, but behind him with caution and care. And as she walked up tentatively, she reached out her hand and she touched the cloak of Jesus. This is a famous story. You know the story very well. There are two questions, however, in this story we want to ask. And the first question is, what is wrong with her? What is wrong with her? Here we come to know exactly what her problem is in certain sense. The problem is that she had some kind of gynecological problem for 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and the 12 years only emphasize for us how serious her condition was. In fact, in verse 26, in a series of participles, it indicates to us how big her problem was. 
for she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she only grew worse. She was desperate. She was desperate because this was her condition for such a long time, and the only hope she had, perhaps the final hope she thought she had, was to turn to this healer, a well-known healer who's been walking by her and desire his healing just by touching his cloak. She just heard, she came, and she touched him. So here we can simply answer this question of what is wrong with her by saying she had a physical illness. She's been sick for a very long time. But the question can be asked, is that her only problem? Is her physical illness the only thing that overwhelms her? Well, we can only guess the kind of religious problem she has, for she is unclean. In fact, Leviticus 15 tells us about those who have menstruation discharges that go beyond the regular time period, and that individual is considered unclean. And for we know that she should not have been there in the first place, where so many people had gathered during this time. Here, rubbing against someone else, running into someone else, only makes those individuals unclean. If people were to have found out that she is who she is, I can't imagine the repercussions of that particular scene. Perhaps this partly explains her approaching Jesus from behind her and perhaps the kind of fear and trepidation she felt as she prostrated herself before Jesus later when he asked for it. So it's not just a physical problem that she had. She for sure and certainly had a religious problem. And you can begin to imagine if that she, she was such an unclean person, which required not only her being healed, but those that touch her requiring ritual cleansing on their own, we come to recognize that she probably also had a social problem. She probably was lonely. No one wanted to be with her. No one can be with her. Of course, to make the matters even worse, not only religious or social or physical, she spent all the money she had. It's like doctors, aren't they? Taking all the money she had, but not solving her problem. Here she is. Verse 26 reminding us, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. She was desperate. Can you imagine the kind of emotional condition she might have been in as we think about her spiritual condition? Having suffered so long, who does not suffer from insecurity, anxiousness, anger, hopelessness, depression, loneliness, or even purposelessness of life? I can't even begin to imagine how she feels. When someone like me, who suffers from a toothache, it ruins my whole week, if I were in that situation of being sick for 12 years, I can't begin to imagine her emotional state or her spiritual condition. It's this unnamed woman who comes at the center of this story. And when we ask the question, what is wrong with her, it's not a simple issue of her physical condition. Here, it's not only her physical illness, she had a religious, social, economic, and emotional and, and spiritual problem. And it's to this unnamed woman we turn, because in that scene, when she approaches Jesus from behind, she touches him. And you know what happened? Immediately, she was healed. And Jesus, having felt his power go out from him, and I'm not exactly sure what the psychology of that is, but here he turns around and simply asks, who touched me? Who touched me? This is extremely unusual. We've seen other occasions in the Gospels where Jesus, having been touched by someone else who has been healed, just moved on. 
he just moved on without having, making the time to actually sit and indicate to everyone that this person has been healed. And in fact, the scene is even more tense when his own disciples start mocking him. Here you see all these people crowding around you, bumping into you all over the place, and you're asking us who touched you? What makes the scene even more tense, however, is the fact that when we go outside to the buns of our sandwich, Jairus is waiting. Here he is, having asked Jesus, simply saying, my daughter is dying, and grateful that Jesus is taking the time to go with him to his home so his daughter can be taken care of. And here this, this woman comes, and Jesus simply says, who touched me as if he had all the time in the world? In fact, if you were to look at this, just in surface, you come to recognize the contrast between Jairus and this woman. It's a stark contrast, isn't it? It's a stark contrast because here he is a man with a name and a position. Here he is a synagogue ruler who commands respect and admiration from many. But her name is never given, perhaps not even known. In fact, her only identifying marker is her shame that she's been ill for so long. Here she's been sick for 12 years. Why couldn't she wait at least half an hour more? But that's not the condition of our story here. Because Jesus stops, turned around, and asks, who touched me? And this is the crucial question, isn't it? Because now we get the sense of why Jesus stopped. Jesus did not ask because he didn't know that a person was healed. You see that in verse 9, immediately Jesus was healed. And in fact, in the New Testament miracles of Jesus, miracles are always like that. It's immediate and indisputable. And we realize that this person's illness had already been gone. Jesus did not ask this question also because he didn't know who the person was. The implication of the faith here, I mean, the implicit in the fact that he is God, but more so that implication in our text is that he turned around to see her who had done this thing. What's important for us to realize then here is that Jesus' intention was not only about the fact that this person's physical ailment now has been taken care of. Because what he does is that he intentionally brings her out in the presence of all the people where everyone can recognize this person who was once sick now is recognized to be clean. We re realize and remember, remember when Jesus heals others, he reminds them to go to a high priest so that not only ritual cleansing can be done, but an announce can be made that this person who was once unclean is now made clean. And here Jesus in his high priestly role comes in the public for all to see that this woman who was once sick, sick for 12 years, considered an outcast and unclean, now is visibly made acceptable before all the people who had gathered. But it's not only about the announcement and proclamation that she is healed, but it's about a personal encounter, isn't it? This woman who came seeking only a miracle had a meeting with Jesus. Here was not enough for Jesus that this person is physically now well. He wanted to make sure that she understands as he approaches her and says, Daughter, here she is, fearing that perhaps she had done something grievously wrong, that she would be ostracized yet once again and outcasted once again by those individuals who came to see that she had done something wrong. No, but that's not Jesus' reaction to this woman. 
when this woman prostrates herself before him, he comes to her and says in this very personal way, daughter, your faith has healed you. Here, it's not just about a miracle of physical healing. Jesus' concern was beyond that, and it was remedied by the fact that he had an encounter with her. That it wasn't just about something that happened, but it's about meeting him and her recognizing this great teacher, someone admired and respected by all, now knew her and recognized her. But it's not only a religious encounter, or for that matter, a personal encounter. Here, it's also a spiritual one, isn't it? Because as we see in verse 34, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Of course, perhaps this is a way to correct the way she mystically thought about what had just occurred. But this sentence is so rich with multiple meanings here, when we recognize that the word heal also means save. And when you realize that the peace is not just about emotional sanity, but it's also about reconciliation with God. There is an implication here before the death of Jesus Christ that somehow this woman, by her feeble act of faith, what Jesus wants her to understand is that by that weak faith, her faith has healed and saved her. That now, this woman who has known, known, not known any peace for 12 years, this woman who has been outcasted for 12 years, this woman who thought that she was forsaken by God for 12 years, here, Jesus reminds her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering a woman who has only known tumult and suffering all her life, Jesus offers her peace and healing. Dare I use the word holistic without getting into trouble? That here Jesus, who recognized that her condition is not just about her physical condition. There is much more to her condition than her physical ailment for 12 years. And here is Christ who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and think. Here, all she came to do was to seek physical healing, and what he offered her was a holistic healing. All that she had, all that she was, was touched by her encounter with Jesus. What did she do to deserve this? Nothing, really. It was an act of desperation, isn't it? It was faith that this person can heal, perhaps even tinged and outlined with mysticism, but it was a moment of desperation and dependence. We see that with Jairus, don't we? When he comes also pleaded earnestly before God. In fact, he needed an encouragement from Jesus, as Jesus later says, don't, don't fear, but believe, he says. These are weak faiths at best, and I, I would imagine we can spend much time talking about the nature of their faith. But this is all they brought to the table. Faith that are weak. Faith that do not fully comprehend, but yet full of desperation and dependence. And here is Jesus, our Lord, 
who seeing her need beyond the needs that she even recognized herself. And in that encounter, dealing with her so that all of her may be healed. My friends, do you come to Christ? Do you approach him with the kind of desperation and dependence? Are we too above that? We know too much for dependence. We have too much for desperation. Here, I pray that we as seminarians, as men and women of God, on daily basis may come to him and seek his healing. And I also pray that we are daily surprised by his grace. His grace that is able to do much more, immeasurably more, than what we ask and what we can even possibly imagine. May you experience and taste this goodness of the Lord every day as you study and as you live. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. We are undeserving. We have nothing to offer. We come to you with empty hands but you embrace us, call us your children, and you provide for all our needs, even needs that perhaps we didn't even know we had. We come to you, Lord, on a daily basis. May the things that we learn not become intellectual pursuits, but, Lord, it will humble us each and every single day to turn to you, and may we be able to see and experience and taste your goodness, your surprising grace that gives so much more than what we can possibly imagine or ask. So, Lord, we thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.